All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 100, and today we are talking about books released on March 28th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi. I feel like we should have confetti falling from the sky or something. You, You don't? No. Remember when I made confetti happen? <laughs> I do. <laughs> and then I was like terrified that the waitress was going to hate me, so I picked it all up. That was a PDA. That was like almost yeah, a week ago. Yeah, that crazy. was a good moment. Yeah. Now we're in the triple digits. Woo, I cannot believe it. Yes. This has gone by very quickly. Oh my goodness, yes. Think of all the books we've read. It was so awesome. And all the books that we've started and not finished because boo. <laughs> boo. <laughs> this show has made me an even more ruthless 50-page checker-outer of things. Yeah. Um, it has made me a checker-outer like I never used to be. I know. You but became I a DNFer. Yeah, but I, I DNF very rarely still. I'm like, uh, I got another couple hours. I'll just finish it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's because you're magical. And another way that you're magical is you made us a cool thing for celebrating our 100th episode. Yes! Um, We have a 100th episode shirt to celebrate. It says, happy reading on it and commemorates the 100th episode on the back. So if you would like a special 100th episode shirt, you can go to teespring.com slash ATB100 it's only $16, and all the proceeds go to everylibrary.org, which, Rebecca, can you tell us what that is about? Yeah, I yeah, just Every Library, they, <laughs> they sponsored a show a year or two ago, I guess a year or so ago, during maybe National Library Week, and I remember checking it out and being like, this is such a cool organization. So every library um, gathers information about legislation that is underway and funding attacks that are underway to try to pull funding and, you know, other forms of access from public libraries. Um, so you can go to everylibrary.org and put in your zip code and it will show you things that are relevant to libraries in your area and ways that you can get involved in your own community or causes that you can donate to support. Um, so we think it's just a very cool organization and we're going to donate all the proceeds from this show to them so that they can continue doing that great work to mobilize literary activists. Yeah. So. Um, again, the shirt is awesome. Liberty did a great job with it. It's teespring, T-E-E, spring.com slash ATB100, um, and it's available through April 17th. So celebrate our 100 episodes with us and support a great cause. Yay. All uh, right. So go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, can I tell you a little bit about my bookish adventure that I went on yesterday? Oh, yes. You did go on quite an adventure. Yes. So our coworker, Kelly... Jensen mm-hmm. has a book out called Here We Are, and I found out that she was going to be reading at my friend's bookstore in Rhinebeck, New York, which is a four-hour drive from here. And I was like, gee, you know, Kelly lives in Wisconsin, I think, and I never yes. get to see her, so I was like, it would be kind of fun to go there and see my friend Susanna. And then I found out that she was in conversation with Christine Hepperman, who wrote Ooh. Poisoned Apples, and she all kinds of great things and amazing. So I was like, I'm going to do it. So I made the trip, and it was... So great, and I made Kelly a poster um, because she has the most amazing rabbit that she photographs on Instagram all the time. His name is Rocket, so I brought a a poster that says, We love Rocket! And then I was like, this is probably very confusing at an event about feminism if you don't know that her buddy (laughs) is named Rocket. But she explained it to everyone. And then, can I tell you one more thing? Yes. I recognized the woman sitting next to me. It was Mm Ginny Oval. (gasps) Oh, I love her. Department of Speculation. And so... 
I was that total nerd who bought her book and asked her to sign it. It was so exciting. That is awesome. I love that book so much. Oh, it's so good. So yeah, that was my very exciting adventure. And of course, I bought like a million books and, you know, because that's what I do. <laughs> I would probably not recognize her because authors have that, you know, nice mysterious thing going for their particular kind of fame where most of them you don't know on site. I I think that like I could be, you know, sharing Starbucks with Jenny Awful and I wouldn't know. Oh, I'm so, good pretty for good you. with faces. Like when I see one, like I usually mm-hmm. remember it. So I was just like, oh my goodness. Well, we're going to roll into our 100th episode celebration here. We each have two books to talk about and then a bunch of question and answers to get through because you guys sent us some great questions. So kick us off, Lib. Yes, this book, uh, everybody's been talking about it forever. I can't believe it's finally here. It's The Twelve Lives of Samuel Hawley by Hannah Tinty. It's magical. She is a genius, goddess, amazing writer. I love her so much. It's about a girl named Lou. She's a teenage girl. She's living in Massachusetts with her single father. Um, She doesn't know much about his past. Uh, She just knows that, like, their mother is gone. Her Their mother, that would be weird. (laughs) <laughs> Her mother is gone. Um, he's very mysterious. All the ladies in town like love him, but he has no interest in, in other women. Um, but he also carries these 12 scars on his body. And she doesn't know where they came from. She just knows that when she was young, you know, she lost her mother and they started moving around a lot. Um, like motel to motel and she never really had any roots. And as the book progresses, we learn about what happened to Lou's mother and we learn about each of the scars. Each of the scars represents a bullet that Samuel Hawley took. And it's about his past. Um, he has made some really bad choices. He is a devoted father. He is a devoted husband. But, you know, really, he's actually also the villain of his own story. He has made choices that put him in the path of, of crime and criminals and bullets. Um, so you learn about each of the bullets, like there's a chapter for each of the bullets that he's Hmm. taken and he's decided, you know, when Lou is a teenager, like he wants her to have a normal life and they've been like trying to outrun the past, but you can't outrun the past. Um, so he settles down with her and of course there's going to have to be a reckoning eventually for his past. Um, but Hannah Tinty's writing is so gorgeous. She also wrote this amazing novel called The Good Thief that lots of people have read. If you haven't, check it out. It's so great. Um. This book is marvelous. It's also really hard-hitting. I mean, bullets are ugly and scary, and her writing is so intense and incredible that it's so, it's really, like, hits you in the guts. It's, it's incredible. But it's also a love story, and a story about a man who loves his daughter. Um, it's just remarkable. It's The Twelve Lives of Samuel Hawley by Hannah Tinty. My first book could probably not be any more different from from that. It's Beyond Infinity, An Expedition to the Outer Limits of Mathematics by Eugenia Chang. Um, Normally, I would probably not pick up a book about math because I am not a super mathy person and I would be intimidated. But last spring when we were in Chicago, I visited a bookstore um, in Evanston where I just stumbled on How to Bake Pie, like the number pie, um, by Eugenia Chang. And I 
I read it and loved it. And she just has this very accessible, fun voice um, in the way that she talks about math. It reminded me of uh, the way that Natalie Angier writes about science um, as if like these are complex ideas, but everyone should be able to have access to these ideas and to understand them because they affect all of our lives in meaningful ways. So Beyond Infinity is a dive into... This very abstract notion of infinity, of something that just goes on and on and on. That's the jacket copy says it's small enough to fit in your head, but too large to fit in the world or even the universe. And that's such a good way to describe it. And it just begins like straight out of the gate with some breaking your brain open. There's apparently uh, there's a thought experiment that's apparently a classic, but I had no idea because I never got uh, to fancy math classes um, called Hilbert's Hotel that asks you to imagine a hotel with an infinite number of rooms. And then you imagine that all the rooms are full, but someone new comes and wants to check in. But since your hotel is infinite, you can just have everyone go up a room and the first room will be open and then they can go into that one. And it just will perpetually expands because even if all the rooms are full, there's always more rooms. And then she slots in a bunch of things like now imagine that everyone has to go up one floor and over one room. And how does that look? And in the first like 20 pages, it broke my brain several times, but it was pleasant and I could keep pace with it, um, which I feel like is the important thing if you're writing a pop science or a pop math book about ideas that most people aren't holding in their minds and manipulating each day. Um, like she she talks about, you know, how would you plan a dinner party for 7 billion people? <laughs> um, and just crazy, interesting examples. I'm really glad that I read this book. I don't know that I will ever be able to succinctly explain anything from it. Like I was sitting, making my notes for the show and trying to decide like which examples I was going to repeat. And the one about the infinite hotel is the only one that I really have my brain enough uh, around to try to relay uh, in layman's terms or even to try to share. But I did really find that reading the book was like, oh, okay, I get that. I get this next thing. The concepts sort of build on each other in a, in a very good way. Eugenia Chang is a great teacher. Um, in addition to being a mathematician, she's also a musician and a chef. Um, and those, that information sort of, that specialty area like creeps its way into the way that she's writing about math. And so it feels very creative as well, which I'm given to understand that people who are super good at math find it to be a creative activity. You have to get cleverer and cleverer to make the math do the things that you need it to do. Um, I never had that experience but I believe now because of Eugenia Chang that math can be creative and exciting. This is a really fun book. Um, I, I'm guessing it might be kind of fun on audio if you don't mind like driving around being like, what? Because some of the examples do have the flavor uh, if you're not a math person, like I'm not of like, what would happen if you got really stoned and sat around being like, what if there was a hotel that was infinite. <laughs> like it can just seem kind of silly, but it's also super interesting and I really enjoyed it. So the book again is Beyond Infinity, An Expedition to the Outer Limits of Mathematics by Eugenia Chang. That reminds me, um, you know how I got Lincoln in the Bardo on audio oh, for yeah. my road uh -huh. trip? How uh, was it? My CD player is broken. No. <laughs> I got in the car and it wasn't working. Like, total fail. So I had to listen to the radio the whole way. But it was pretty cool because I listened to the 90s station and discovered that, like, I still know all the words to Aisha by another Brad creation. So I've got that going for me. 
Um, I love it when you go on your 90s radio road trips yeah. and discover like songs from the 90s that you're only hearing for the first time. Those are good texts. Yeah, but there were like it was they played the top 30 from that year in 1991 and I knew all of the songs. Even That's though some of them made me like, like sticks, show me the way. What? Like, how do I know all the words to that? <laughs> anyway, let's talk about something book related. Yeah, let now. me tell you about our first sponsor <laughs> Yay. this week. Um, our first sponsor is An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole. It's available now from Kensington Books. We love Alyssa Cole. If you were at Book Riot Live this year, you probably got to meet her. She's this awesome. book is about she is she is really awesome. Uh, the book is about two undercover agents who share a common cause and an undeniable attraction. Malcolm and Elle join forces when they discover a sinister plot that could turn the tide of the Civil War in the Confederacy's favor. Caught in a tightening web of wartime intrigue and fighting a fiery and forbidden love, Malcolm and Elle must make their boldest move to preserve the Union at any cost even if it means losing each other. They are undercover agents who, because of the nature of their roles in 1861, can't be seen together in public. He is a Scottish Pinkerton agent. She is a freed woman who's undercover as a slave. And both of them are gathering intel for the Union. Malcolm and Elle are falling in love in what seems like impossible circumstances. So this is a historical romance mixed with suspense uh, and just blurring the genre distinctions and definitely will exceed your expectations expectations because that's how Alyssa Cole rolls. Again, the book is An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole. It is out now from Kensington Books. You can find it wherever books are sold or we'll have a link to it in the show notes. She's so rad. She really is. She lives on, I can't remember which one. She lives on a, this gorgeous Caribbean island and occasionally her photos pop up in my feeds and I'm like, why didn't I make those life choices? I know. <laughs> And her dad was at one of her events at Book Riot Live, and he was telling everybody that he was her dad. It was so cute. Oh, that was really sweet. Her parents were great. Yes. (laughs) All right, lady. What's up next for you? Speaking of great, um, I'm actually going to tell you a little bit about a book I just read that I loved that came out a couple years ago now. Um, I did read some other books that came out today, but I saved them for the newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for the new release newsletter, that is a good reason too, because I talk about other books out today. But this one I want to tell you about is called The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. I meant to read it, and I didn't, and then I saw the sequels coming out, and so I was like, oh, I'll read this. And it's so good! It's like a traditional Haitian folktale, but it has sort of like a little twist to it. It's just this really wonderful middle grade novel. Um, It's about a young girl named Corinne, and she lives with her father on the island, and... The island tale goes that there are these things called jumbies, which are these really evil, awful creatures that live in the woods, and they come out at night and prey on people. So, you know, she's grown up hearing this story, and she's she's not afraid of them. She's not afraid of anything. She's not afraid of any of the animals. She's not afraid of the boys that pick on her. Like, she's not afraid of anything. And then one day, she's in the woods, and she sees these two glowing eyes. And she's like, oh, dear. And shortly after that, a strange woman appears at her door, and she sort of has this weird um, presence, and she has this sort of strangeness about her. She takes over the the house. She has this, like, influence on on, uh, Corinne's father. He begins acting really weird. And then the jumbies come out of hiding. They attack the village and everything's going wrong. And now Corinne seeks help because her father is, like I said, he's, he's really weird and under the influence. So 
she goes to seek help and she talks to a witch who tells Corinne that Corinne herself has a special magic power that will help her defeat the evil woman and the jumbies. So she has to, you know, find the strength and fight the jumbies. Which is just a great word, jumbies. It is. It's really funny. It sounds like a candy that you get when you go to the movies. Yes. Jumbies. Yes. So I'll have a box I, of jumbies and a large popcorn. Yes, exactly. It's it's so fun though. I really liked this book. Um, especially after just reading what was it, uh, a cat or witch? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Um, with which was more like magic and strangeness, and I I loved it. So again, it's the Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. My uh, next one is also a little bit of a throwback. It came out in January and I've been meaning to read it and I just finally had a weekend where I was like, you know, the thing that I need to do is just sit on my couch and read a romance novel. So that is what I did. It's Seven Minutes in Heaven by Eloisa James. This book is a total delight. Um, I love Eloisa James for Regency romance, but this one especially was so much fun. It's about Eugenia Snow. She is a 29-year-old widow, so she is like old in in uh, the world of these Regency romance novels. She's been widowed for seven years. Her husband was the great love of her life. She is still mourning him and missing him every day. She is one of the highest ranking ladies in the land, but she's been sort of cast out of uh, polite society because after her husband's death, she opened a registry for governesses, where uh, which is you know basically like a nanny company today, um, where rich families who want good government governesses for their children come to her and she sends out a very well-trained governess who's guaranteed to raise her children upright and get them into the right marriages and teach them all of the, you know, the ways to bow and curtsy and what you can say and can't say in polite society and all of that. Um, So she is working at her registry one day when she encounters a man named Edward Reeve. He has recently taken custody of two young siblings that he did not know he had. They are uh, quite troublesome and he needs a good governess. So he goes to her. That is how they meet. He is very dashing uh, and independent. He's a self-made man. He's also very wealthy, uh, but has earned his money from inventions. And they're both very hard-headed, strong-willed. So they kind of hit it off. And Eugenia eventually finds herself going to visit him on his estate uh, when the governess, like it's the second or third governess, has bailed because the children are just so bad. So she's going to go check things out for herself. Uh, It doesn't hurt that Edward Reeve is hot and she would like to spend some time with him. So this is good cover. Uh, So she goes, they fall in love with each other. It's a romance. You know what happens. Um, But it's just so delightful. It's so much fun. Um, She is smart, headstrong. She's 29. So she's also not like... Uh, She's not a virginal spring chicken who's clueless about things. She knows what she wants in more than one sense. Um, He is also a real grown-up who knows what he wants in more than one sense. The complications in the relationship, um, like the obstacle in the way of their romance, um, doesn't have anything to do with like him having mommy issues, which seems to come up a lot in Regency romance novels. Their issues are also very grown-up issues. Uh, And it was just refreshing to read a romance set in this time period that's not about super young people who don't know anything about life. They've both lived, they've both lost and grieved, and they're coming together as real adults with real problems and thoughts about things. It's just a really wonderful romance. So much fun. Um, 
I love Eloisa James and this series that she's on right now is a, all of the heroines have a profession um, that's kind of an uncommon one. The previous one was three weeks, three weeks with Lady X, I believe. Um, and it's uh, about a woman who b- gets hired to be the interior decorator of a fancy estate and naturally falls in love with the man who owns the place. Uh, they, these are all really wonderful. But this one in particular, Seven Minutes in Heaven by Eloisa James. Fantastic. All right, lady, one more sponsor, and then let's do some questions. Our second sponsor is My Darling Detective by Howard Norman. I love Howard Norman so much, like, obsessively so much. Someday I will tell you all my embarrassing Howard Norman story. But he (laughs) is so fantastic. He's so fantastic. If you've never read him, he wrote The Museum Guard. He wrote The Bird Artist. He wrote The Haunting of Elle, which is, like, so messed up and dark, and it's, of course, my favorite one of his I, do you know Jen and Steph accosted him one time? I think it was like no. at an airport and took, no. a sel- took a selfie with him and sent it to <laughs> me because they knew that I loved him that much. Um, so he's he's incredible. Almost all of his books take place in Canada. You would think that he's from there, but he's actually from the States. But all his books take place in Canada. And My Darling Detective is set in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And it is a witting, engrossing homage to noir from National Book Award finalist Howard... Well, we already know that part. I'm reading my notes now and I'm like, What? Um, it features an art collector, a woman police detective, a former head librarian, booksellers, a police officer with suggested ties to anti-Semitism, and much more. Like, booksellers, librarians. It's so great. (laughs) That's your wheelhouse. Yeah. It involves a dire shootout and an emergency delivery. It's the second baby to be born in the Halifax Free Library in the span of three decades. (laughs) This is Howard Norman at his provocative and haunting and uncannily moving best. So he's he's so great. He, he's sort of like a little like John Irving, like the, mm. the situations that the people have. You know, they're unusual town situations, um, but a little different. I he's he haunting is a really good word for him. I feel like that's a like an adjective that gets used too much, but it's a really perfect word for him. He's so so awesome. So again, it is called My Darling Detective by Howard Norman, and we thank them for sponsoring. I've never read him, but that John Irving comparison has me interested. Yes, he's so wonderful. (laughs) Are you ready for some questions and answers? I was going to ask you what you were going to read next first. Oh, right. Because that's the thing we do on this show. We don't have to. We forgot last week. Um, I I felt empty inside. Oh, did we? (laughs) Sometimes we just get distracted. Yep. Or on a roll. Um, I think that I'm going to read uh, Nabokov's favorite word is mauve. It came out a couple weeks ago. It's by Ben Blatt. The subtitle is What the Numbers Reveal About the Classics, Bestsellers, and Our Own Writing. And basically, he does he's doing big data about literature. Um, so you can, like, I just opened it to a random page and he's comparing the use of what and but in work by Michael Connolly, Louise Penny, Robert Galbraith, and J.K. Rowling um, to see how often those authors use the words what and but um, per 10,000 words. Uh, and it's like trying to determine answers to other questions about fiction. Uh, there's uh, now on another page, there's cliches that authors use in more than half their works. And so you can see, um, Isaac Asimov uses past history in seven of the foundation series books. Jane Austen uses with all my heart in six of her novels. Uh, Ray Bradbury says at long last in 11 of his novels, Dan Brown uses full circle in four of the Robert Langdon books. Uh, let's see. E.L. James uses words fail me in 
three of the Fifty Shades books and on and on and on. Like the whole book is charts and graphs about the frequency of various things in works of literature. And Ben Blatt's publicist, whoever you are, kudos, because I have been seeing pullouts from this all over the bookish internet. Um, Jeff and I talked about one of the pieces that got run last week that was like, Toni Morrison is more Hemingway than Hemingway himself that was showing that her sentences um, average the few, like average fewer words than Hemingway's sentences do. Um, talking about being succinct. Uh, there was w- one that was running about the uses of cliches, which authors are more cliche than others in their work. Um, and I've just been seeing it all over the place. So I've had the galley for a while and I'm looking forward to picking it up and regaling you with, Hey, did you know facts on next week's show? It's, it's an epic nerd purr. I mean, <laughs> of course so you've already read it. <laughs> it's really fun to see like what, I can't remember any of them right now, of course, but it's really fun to see like what words authors use the most. They're not what yeah. you would think. I am really just going to nerd out. It'll be great. What are you going to read next? Um, I, so a few weeks ago I talked about Brian Doyle and Mink River mm-hmm. um, and how much I love that book. And his publicist contacted me and said, he has a new book coming out in a few weeks. I was so excited. So I just received it. It's The Adventure of John Carson in Several Quarters of the World. And it's a novel of Robert Louis Stevenson. And apparently at some point when Robert Louis Stevenson was young, he lived in San Francisco and he was in love with this woman who was trying to get rid of her husband. He was waiting for them to divorce. Um, and while he was waiting, he was like daydreaming this idea of writing a novel about his wacky landlord or something. Um, and it didn't happen. He moved to Scotland and he wrote like Treasure Island and Kidnapped and like all those you know, really famous books. So Brian Doyle sort of imagines um, what that book would be if he had written it and like the adventures that he had in San Francisco. Um, sounds really fun. I've only read Treasure Island and Kidnapped so and when I was a kid, but I'm thinking I can probably still handle reading this book. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. All right. Now are you ready for some questions? Yeah, I needed to buy some more time. <laughs> okay. The first question is from Sybil. It's about spoilers. And she wonders if we have hard and fast rules about how much we will and won't spoil. Like, do we not talk about anything after the first two chapters or the first 10% of the book or anything that's not on the jacket or promo blurbs? Um, basically, do we find ourselves struggling with knowing when to stop revealing plot or character elements? Um, she's a librarian and uh, even though she doesn't do regular reader's advisory as part of her job, she still gets approached for recommendations and it's hard to know when she's going too far. Um, so what do you think about spoilers? I, I don't know. I don't have like a rule for it. Like when I'm talking about a book, sometimes I'll go to say something and I'll realize like, I don't want to say that much about it, but if it's something like, um, oh my goodness, I lost the word I'm thinking. Oh, when I was talking about himself the other day, Mm -hmm. like the main character's mother dies on the first page. So if you're upset that I told you his mother dies on the first page, you know, come on. Um, but if she had died, you know, at the end of the book, I wouldn't want to tell you that. Um, but like if it's relevant, if it's like really important, like big surprise, like I try not to say it. Um, but also I think spoilers are also up to the people, um, listening and especially reading. Like I try not to read printed reviews or even the jacket sometimes because I like to just not have any idea of what I'm reading. Um, but I have that luxury, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. but 
I don't, I don't have an you talk. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't, we don't have any rules about it. Um, and we do often say something like, you know, Jack's mother dies and that's not a spoiler because it happens on the fourth page. Yeah. Um, so I think we're, we try to let listeners know when we're saying something that they might worry is a spoiler. Um, sometimes we don't say things that are printed on the jacket or the blurbs because sometimes we like, we'll talk about it before the show that a thing that happens that's on the blurb like really should not be given away so sometimes we go in the other direction um I usually try to note like if the thing makes me if if a thing surprises me in the text I try to just say on the show like and then there's a really surprising thing instead of um revealing what the surprising thing is but I will also say that I have tried to not worry about it very much because a year or so ago there was a big survey that came out that like actually showed that people get angry about spoilers. I think this was with respect to TV, but I've just decided it generalizes to uh, book reading as well. That people get angry when they hear about spoilers, but it doesn't actually affect their enjoyment of the thing when they get around to it. Um, because if you get absorbed enough in a book, like you might know Jack's mom dies at some point, but you're not, you don't know exactly when it's coming, you can still have the experience of reading the thing. Um, so we don't want to like run willy nilly, but it's just, it's not a thing that I think about too much. Um, and I try to talk about what a book is about instead of what happens in a book. That's a good workaround too. If I'm reading a classic, I won't read the introduction or like the essay that comes before it that they oh, do yeah. now because I read Anna Karenina oh, and no. that's a really long book to read when you know what's going to happen at the end. That, I read like I had... this great essay about it that they printed oh. at the front and I was like, Wait, what? And like they think like, oh, it's a hundred something years. It's not a spoiler anymore. And I was like, I didn't know that was going to happen. Those should always come at the end, I think. Like, <laughs> yeah, those they really deep should. Analyses should always come at the end. I had that experience um, in college. I read Wide Sargasso Sea before I had read Jane Eyre. And Wide Sargasso Sea is like, uh, right, it's like a shifted perspective story that takes off of Jane Eyre, but it's from the perspective of a character that's a secret through most of Jane Eyre. <laughs> and so I was like sitting in class and the teacher was explaining what this story was inspired by. And I was like, oh, well, there goes Jane Eyre. <laughs> and years later, when I finally did read Jane Eyre, it was not as much fun since I, since I knew that. Um, all right. You want to read the next one? Okay. Um, it's from Jessica. It says, congrats on your upcoming 100th episode. My question is, do you have any tips to fit in more reading? It seems like you guys are both professional readers. I work in a library and I've recently gone back to school so I can then go to library school and I'm surrounded by books, but I never seem to have time to read for pleasure. Any thoughts? Oh, I, I don't feel like I can, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, like, people, I don't know that anyone takes me seriously when I say, like, really, all I do is read. <laughs> um, you are a magical yeah. fairy book creature. Well, also, so my email signature is this quote from Norman Rush that says, the main effort of arranging your life should be to progressively reduce the amount of time required to decently maintain yourself so that you can have all the time you want for reading. And I have become really, really good at that. Um, you know, like, I like to multitask. So that, you know, I don't have to take the time to do two things, but I can do them both at the same time. You know, like, brush my teeth and read my email at the same time or, you know, stuff like that. Like, it, when you shave those, like, seconds off of things, it makes all the difference. It, it eventually adds up. You know, so now I just ignore my email and, you know, I sleep two hours <laughs> a night and, you know, but I get a It's all about, like, what, you know, what you want to do. I also, I, 
I don't watch TV very often, um, you know, very rarely, but I will talk about that later with another question. Um, my boyfriend works a lot, so we don't get to hang out that much. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I I wish that I could say I'm a professional reader, but my daily life is like emails and spreadsheets and business planning meetings and things that are not reading. Um, I've said on a bunch of shows, and I'm sure it'll be true for as long as this career is this career that I don't read during my business hours. Um, I, I can't. There's like too much to get done. Um, so I'm I am like your experience, probably, Jessica, in that way, um, that I'm trying to read in my off time as well. Um, my biggest tip is if you're not already doing it to incorporate audiobooks. Um, I didn't think that I could get much out of audiobooks because I don't have a commute. I work at home and my drive to the gym is like, you know, eight minutes and my drive to the grocery store is eight minutes. But those little snippets of time really do add up. Um, I find like if I walk the dog and listen to an audiobook, then when we come back in the house, if I'm enjoying what I'm listening to, I might, you know, wash the dishes with the audiobook on so that I can keep going. Um, and for me, that adds like one to one and a half books per month. Like that's how long it takes me to get through one average sized audiobook, but it's another book every month. Um, and my days are pretty full. I work like eight or nine hours, maybe more a day. I'm, I like go to yoga for an hour most days and I do like TV. So, um, if I can get a couple hours of reading in, in a day, that's a really good day. Like one hour of reading in, in a day is normal for me. Um, I started last year getting up 15 minutes earlier. Um, and that shift gave me just enough time that like my coffee kicks in and I have half an hour to read before I start work in the mornings. And that little 15 minute difference, um, did help me out some, but I think maybe also let yourself off the hook. Like this feeling of not having enough time to read is just part of being a reader. And like Liberty's saying, if you can combine tasks and, um, slot some reading into parts of your day that don't normally have reading, audiobooks are great for that, but also like let yourself enjoy the other stuff that you enjoy because you're not going to get a trophy at the end of the day for having read more. Except Liberty is going to get a trophy because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make you, you one. Know, I just like, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, I just like to do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our next question is from Anna. Um, her question is, if you could each reread one book as if you were reading it for the first time, what would it be? Oh, do you want me to... I, I definitely do because I'm buying myself some time. Geek Love. Oh. It would be Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Absolutely. That book just changed my life. I read it when I was like 18 years old and yeah, I wish I had read it when I was younger or it had been available to me when I was younger um, because I, I know everyone has a rotten childhood, but I didn't really fit in when I was a little kid. I know like looking at me, it's hard to believe, but... You know, in the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey, so it, it was really hard for me. And <laughs> there's that '90s reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, to read this book about you know being different and just like taking it and running with it and like holding on to that, like no matter what, it was so important and amazing to me. Um, what about you? It's your turn. Oh, can I have two? Sure. It's our show. Um, probably The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, um, because it just cracked my heart open in a way that a book had not done before. And it was 
unbeknownst to me at the time, my first experience really reading science fiction. Um, I was such a snob then that I, like, I was reading this book about like the Jesuits going to space and dealing with aliens. And I was like, it's literary. It's about space, but it's literary. Um, it's science fiction and it's fantastic. Um, but I like didn't realize until years later that it was science fiction. Um, but that's a really memorable reading experience for me. And it's a book I've gone back to over and over that is never the same as it was the first time, but I'm different every time. And so the book is different every time it's become kind of a touchstone for me. Um, and the other one would be Sula by Toni Morrison for kind of the same reasons. Um, it was the first Toni Morrison that I read, um, because I had a teacher who assigned it before I took a Toni Morrison course where we read all of her work in order. And, uh, it's about friendship between women, but in a really complex and messy way. Um, and, about girlhood and womanhood and so many interesting things, but it's also just so weird. Um, it's the true Toni Morrison reading experience of like, if you are confident that you know what's happening a hundred percent of the time, then you're actually not reading the book correctly. Um, and I just loved it. I've gone back to it over and over again. My copy of it has notes in it in like 17 different colors of ink. And so it's nice to see those like echoes of past versions of myself, but I would love to be able to experience that book for the first time uh like at this point in my life for sure yes next question do it i'm just gonna i'm gonna paraphrase because we're we're running out of time yeah um it's from michelle and she loves the show and thank you michelle and she wants to know what is your favorite author signing experience oh you're gonna have way more of these than i am well um yeah there are so many that i can't I can't really pick one. Um, probably Elizabeth McCracken was the most exciting and just because she meant so much to me. Um, it was fun to watch you meet Terry Tempest Williams. Oh, that, that was, was going to be my story. Um, but can, can I tell you, it's now time, I think, to talk about Colson Whitehead. Oh, Because yes. I don't think I've ever talked publicly <laughs> about my Colson Whitehead problems. <laughs> um <laughs> So, the, I love Colson Whitehead's novels. I was very excited when Zone 1 was going to be coming out. I was so excited. I bought a bus ticket to go to BEA and get a copy of The Galley. And on the way down, uh, due to some freakish thing, I got my front tooth knocked out <laughs> a few minutes before I was supposed to meet him. So, my friends picked me up. And so, my first meeting of Colson Whitehead, I wouldn't speak to him because I was missing my teeth. Um, so my friends were like, this is Liberty. And he's like, hi. And I was just like, hmm, just shook my head. And that was embarrassing. So then I had a second chance to meet him. A year later, he was coming to the book Rages party, um, that we did for BEA. Mm -hmm. And so I was all excited about that. And then a mutual friend of ours who shall remain nameless (laughs) was way in his cups and was like, there's Colson Whitehead. You love him. Oh, you think he's so cute. Blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, I'm not going over there now. So that was that was strike two. And then the third time I had a chance to meet Colson Whitehead was the next year he came to do an event at the bookstore where I was working. And I was so terribly nervous because he's so awesome. I was so, so nervous that, like, after his reading, he was, like, signing books, and I didn't realize, like, he was all done. And I was, you know, like, when you open a soda, sometimes if you squeeze the bottle a little bit, it, like, comes out the sides. Like, mm-hmm. that happened to me as I was opening a soda. I had my back to him. Oh, and no. at the very same time, he said, hey, and I turned, I got soda all over my hand, and I turned around, and he had his hand out, but, like, I had soda on my hand. So instead of being a normal person and being like, oh, sorry, I just, you know, spilled soda, I tried to wipe it in my hair and be, like, very casual <laughs> about it. 
trying to wipe it in your hair. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm smooth. And (laughs) it didn't work because your hair is not a towel. (laughs) So I eventually had to stick out my other hand, forcing him to change hands, which was very awkward. And I wanted to die. Um, I did get to see him in Chicago last year, and it it was completely normal. I brought several people with me to make sure that, like, nothing weird happened. Um, and it was great. He's so nice. But I just always felt cursed when I met close to my dad, so there you go. I have never heard that last story. Oh, because it's embarrassing. Who wipes soda in their hair? Like, why can't you just be like, oh, hey, sorry. No, I spilled, yeah. I'll tell you about the time that I almost knocked myself unconscious at Megan Mayhew Bergman's event too for another time so oh my gosh i'm just delighted by this story (laughs) i can't i can see myself in the mirror in my office and my face is so red you can't (laughs) i'm such a fangirl i know i like don't go to author signings for that reason and like and i kind of like to maintain the mystery of not really knowing who the author is as a human because like humans are just disappointing and it's (laughs) it's easier if i can just imagine who the people are but um i think my favorite i mean it has to be my favorite author signing experience was it's it has to have been like four years ago now, three or four years ago now. Um, Terry Tempest Williams, who wrote When Women Were Birds, which is like my all time best reading experience ever, uh, was reading at your bookstore. And I was traveling in that part of the country at, at the right time. I was going to be in Boston for a conference. And it was just like I could rent a car and just drive one hour and come to see you and also Terry Tempest Williams. And so that's what I did. Um, and I had written about her work on Book Riot. So we had connected online, but like I met her and just cried all over her. And then she read for a packed house and I just sat behind the desk with Liberty, like just crying <laughs> the whole it was time. So and cute. then it was wonderful. She's just wonderful. Um, and then and we ate chicken and waffles afterwards, and it was very memorable. <laughs> um, it was great. But the, that book has really defined so many things for me, and it was magical to get to meet her. And she was not disappointing as a human. Um, she's just a really wonderful, lovely, kind person. And um, getting to talk to her about what her work meant to me was really important to me. Um, so definitely that experience. I just um, realized and- that the Michelle who wrote this question is our friend Michelle from the Book Riot uh, NYC Read Harder book group. Oh, hi, Michelle. Yeah, she's coming to stay with me in May. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you never hear from her again, this is me. <laughs> Don't let any books fall I'm on your telling head, Michelle. You that she's coming to my house. <laughs> Um, all right. Next question is from Liv. She says, how do you get yourself back into reading when you get to the point when you can't read anymore? Um, does this happen to you, Liberty? It does. It happens to me occasionally. And I hulk the hell out. I get (laughs) so angry. Like it just happens. Like I'll be like, I I don't know why I can't read. And I get really mad. And that is when I will watch television. I will like binge watch, you know, entire seasons of things. Um, and eventually it takes, you know, three or four days, but I just am like, okay, I'm so sick of TV and I can start picking up books again. It works really well for me, but that's like, I've seen a lot of series, but that's because I watch them all. Like I read books, you know, I just do it all day long and, um, it's, it's fun, but usually like when I'm in the reading groove, I'm like, I can't watch TV. I, I get, it's like self-imposed obviously because I'm, you know, strange, but I get very stressed out if I'm watching something. I'm like, I could be reading a book right now. Um, so I do allow myself, like when I can't read, that is what I do. 
um, until I'm so sick of television that I want books back. I also do that. Um, I think if you're not into reading at the moment, it's totally okay to not be reading. Like if you are just going to die, if you don't get into reading something, pick something totally different from what you had been trying to read. Like essays are really good for this. Um, poetry is really good for sort of a palate cleanser or reset. Those can both be consumed in smaller bites. Um, so you might consider that. Um, but I think, you know, if you need to like watch Netflix for 12 hours straight, like pop open your Ben and Jerry's and go to town or take a walk or whatever your thing is that you do when you're not reading, cook a big meal. Like it's just okay to not be reading sometimes. And it's better to let it come back to you than to try to force it. I don't ever have any success when I like, I cannot hulk out or force my way into reading. It's just like, well, today is just not going to be a day that I read a book. And sometimes that happens. It's easier to just accept it and be happy with whatever the thing is that you are doing. Um, so I think don't worry about it. I will say every time we do a Q&A and every time Jeff and I have done one and when Rita was hosting Dear Book Nerd, this question comes up a lot. Like it seems that everybody is really worried that they're not reading enough or that something's wrong with them when they're just not in the groove. And I've heard the question enough now in my like many, many years of doing this to feel pretty confident in saying like, this is just a thing that happens sometimes. Like it's kind of the common cold. I know, but it's like kind of the common (laughs) cold of like being a book lover. Like you're not going to die. It's just going to feel a little weird for a bit, but you can go with it and it'll be okay. My boyfriend is so funny. I'll be like, I really need to read books today. He's like, you say that every day. You say that on days that you read four books a day. You say that every single day, like relax. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm, okay, let's watch Pushing Daisies. (laughs) (laughs) I watched basically all of the new uh, series of, uh, or the new season of Grace and Frankie yesterday and did not read much. And I'm not sorry. (laughs) I have, I watched the first episode. I think I haven't seen it. It's friendship goals. It's so good. Yeah. Well, plus they're awesome. Yeah. I mean, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Come on. Want to do one more? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. All right. This one is from the amazing Amy. She doesn't call herself that. I just know who she is. So I'm saying, Hey Amy, you're amazing. Um, it says, hey, ladies, there's a there's a beastie voice. I'm not going to sing for you. Um, what are your favorite and least favorite things about Book Riot Live? I had so much fun last year, and I'm so pumped to go again. Thank you for all the work you do. Special place in my heart. Amy's awesome. Um, Aw, thanks, Amy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, basically, my favorite thing is that it happens. Like, you get to meet all these cool bookish people. And they're all so nice and friendly, and they're so happy. I I say this again and again. I love book events because we're all there, and we all would rather be reading somewhere by ourselves. <laughs> like we have that all. We all have that in common, and everyone's so friendly, and they want to talk about books, and it's so great. I love that. Yeah, I love that wonderful feeling of everybody being together and getting to meet people and put faces with Twitter handles and commenter names and all that sort of thing. Like actually getting to see the people that are on the other side of all these things that we make is really satisfying. And it's just fun to get to meet everyone. Um, The thing that I like the least about it is that like when you're the one throwing the party, you don't really get to go to the party. Um, So I don't get the full experience of being there. Um, And I definitely don't like waking up at three o'clock in the morning on that Saturday (laughs) to to do setup. Um, But it's so fulfilling to see what comes together and to see all the people who are attending having a great time that uh, it's like the second best to getting to actually just attend the thing. Um, So 
good question. Thank you for coming. Um, I hope that you had a good time and maybe we got to high five each other after the live show last time. Uh, oh, the live recordings, I think are my simultaneous favorite and least favorite. Cause it's so nerve wracking, but oh, it's also like a huge adrenaline rush. <laughs> yeah. That great. All right. Well, that wraps up our hundredth episode. We did it. We did. Yes, I'm going to just go call Kyle now and ask him to cut out that cold in my head story. <laughs> nope, nope. That one is so staying <laughs> We're all friends here, Liberty. Oh, We're all friends. This they're going to start calling me sticky hair on the internet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I put my deodorant on outside my shirt yesterday. <laughs> Does that help? Oh, it does help. <laughs> I, was, I was just so out of it that I was like noodling around and I was like, wait, <laughs> something's not right. That is so great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we embarrass ourselves any further, let's get out yes. of here. Uh, you can go to teespring.com slash ATB100 to check out our 100th episode shirt. Again, all the proceeds will go to everylibrary.org. It's available through April 17th. Thank you to our sponsors and Extraordinary Union and my darling detective. We'll have links to both of those in the show notes and you can find them wherever books are sold. If you want to drop us a line, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com. Maybe you have an embarrassing author story to tell Liberty that will make her feel less alone. That would be welcome. Uh, again, that's all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. If you want to give us a little anniversary gift, nothing would be finer than an iTunes rating or review so that other folks who are looking for a bookish show can find their way to us. And as much as we would love to tell you more embarrassing stories today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.